everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 68th episode of Make Ours Marvel. And we are uh, we are just kind of cruising along through 1964. Summer's behind us. We did our annuals. Now it's time to, to start dipping into the fall with the month of September. And... Um, we have, uh, we have three books on the docket for tonight that all came out on the 1st of September, 1964. I always have to check to see if that's a holder date or if that's an actual date. Because if they just say the month and don't know the day, they'll just put the 1st on it. But uh, uh, Well, how do we know that? Well, the next one's the 8th, which is a week later. But also uh, in the uh, yeah. Library of Congress information, this is recorded as um, 1st of September. Okay, so legitimately the 1st of September they got these books. For real. Either got or shipped or something. It's hard to say back then. But um but yeah, so we're going to start with uh we're going to start with a little little exercise so we can be a little Thor afterwards. <laughs> a little mighty Thor with <laughs> Journey into Mystery number 110. That's right, guys. We've read 110 of these. Um, C, Mighty Thor battling against the legions of Asgard. And C, the mysterious Mr. Hyde, the serpentine cobra, the sinister Loki, and the noble Odin, which doesn't seem to fit in that same caption somehow. But whatever. We didn't do the little who is this dance. Um, I guess you just remembered from last episode. Do what? We didn't do the little like dance back and forth of who's going to cover the issue. But I oh, I just I just knew because I it was you. I I look ahead of time because I when I read these I like to know if I'm supposed to cover it or not because that way I cross my eyes harder. Right. Well, while you're going to recap on Thor and review the Giant Man story. <laughs> okay. Um, that said, I don't know that I remember this one exactly because it's been a while sometimes. But anyway, it's called Every Hand Against Him. Spectacularly written by Stan Lee, magnificently drawn by Jack Kirby, powerfully inked by Chick Stone, eventually lettered by Art Smek. Um, and it starts with Thor sharing one of Daredevil's awesome powers that we love so much. He has a danger sense and he's flying around sensing danger, but he can't figure out where the danger's coming from. So he's like, well... I guess I'll just go back home then. But the danger is coming from Loki, who is back on Earth somehow. Um, He changes into a human-looking person, and he basically posts bail for Cobra and Mr. Hyde, who were imprisoned last time we saw them. Meanwhile, um, well, forget the meanwhile. I was going to say meanwhile he goes back to be Donald Blake, but yeah, all they do is kind of flirt and stuff, whatever. So back to Loki and, uh, and his two new peons they're kind of like why should we work for you and he reveals like what could possibly be his true form or at least some sort of imaginary awesome form of like this huge yellow horned beast with lots of beasts behind him and stuff and they're like oh my gosh you're an evil god okay we'll do whatever you want he says good i'm augmenting your powers which he does and hyde is now like super strong and cobra is way faster hyde hyde was super strong before but now i guess he's really strong anyway they start um I can't remember if he tells them. Oh, yeah. He says, go. They he Loki says, go and capture this girl named Jane Foster who works for Don Blake. And they're like, well, why would we do that? That's weird. Okay, but let's do it. So they go do that, I guess. Yeah, because she leaves. Oh, no, they snatch her right out of the window. They're like in the office and Cobra just reaches in through the window, grabs her, steals her. Um, he turns the Don Blake turns the Thor, goes after them. But they're like, no. Don't chase us or we'll crush her. 
you need to just stand there and let us get in this cab and we'll get back to you later. Um, so he does that because he doesn't want them to crush her. So they drive away. Meanwhile, Loki is back on Asgard and he's whispering in Odin's ear, look it, look at your son, look through the Viewmaster and check out your son. He just let uh, Hyde and Cobra get away. What kind of hero is that? And, Th- and Odin's like, yeah, what kind of hero is that? So he like reaches down with his floaty head to talk to uh, Thor and he's like, why'd you let him go? And Thor's like, because they had Jane and her life was at stake. And he's like, what? That lady that I told you not to love, you still love her? That's it. You're banished from Asgard. And he's like, oh, yeah? Actually, I can't remember why he has to go to Asgard, except maybe to figure out where they are. Oh, because he knows this. Yeah, that's right. Because he knows that Loki's up to no good here. Something, Something has to do with Loki. I can't remember why he knows it's Loki. But he knows it's Loki. So he flies to Asgard, even though he's been banished, and he punches through Hemdel and fights a bunch of other you know, gods or soldiers or whatever they are. And, of course, he's Thor, so he's way better. He makes his way to Loki. Loki refuses to lift a finger, though. So Thor, being noble that he is, can't, like, punch him or manhandle him or fight him because, you know, that wouldn't be nice. He's just holding – Loki's just, like, holding a flower and sniffing it. But Loki, in turn, tells him where – they are holding Jane anyway because that's how Loki works. He wants all this to be fun and, you know, have fights and stuff. Odin shows up, says, get the heck out of here, and banishes him to exactly where he needs to be. I don't know if that's on purpose or on accident. Um, so Thor takes on Hyde and Cobra. They're, like, in this mansion, and this mansion somehow has, like, Batman traps in it. So, like, he comes in and, like, the walls try and – you know, uh, cave in on him and stuff. But of course he's Thor. None of that works. Um, Hyde slips by so fast that like he, uh, can't even see him. And he tosses a, uh, tear gas grenade at Thor and then bails out of the room. Thor is like blind and trying to fight Hyde when he decides to just rip some wall out to like clear out the gas but that unfortunately like makes something explode because something behind the wall mixed with the gas and boom so he's kind of unconscious hides like wow we beat thor i'm gonna go find cobra and tell him while they're away thor wakes up he sees that jane is unconscious and like near death like she's critical she's gonna die he knows this because part of him is doctor um so he uh asks asgard to help they of course ignore him uh hyde and cobra are making their way back because i guess they went really far away to talk about how they beat up thor so they're making their way back he hears them coming he's like boy i can't fight them and save her life at the same time what's a thor to do so he spins his hammer and uh creates a time warp that stops time so now he and the dying jane are in like this weird limbo and he's not sure how to proceed. So to be continued, the end. It's not a bad cliffhanger actually. Yeah. For a Thor book, it's yeah. not too bad. Um, so are, are Hyde and Cobra, the new like brotherhood of mutants for, for, for Thor? I guess they keep showing up. I know it's, it's getting kind of bored of them a little bit, but like, uh, I felt like they wanted Hyde to be like Thor's main nemesis for a while there, but now I guess it's the Hyde and Cobra team. Right. And you mentioned you thought maybe they were superpowered earlier. I've mentioned them being superpowered, or Hyde at least, because I remembered him being super strong. But I don't know how actual super strong he has been before this in the comics. Maybe a little bit strong, but I don't think, like, I don't know. 
Could he really he was, hold his own against Thor? I, I remember him being pretty strong. I mean, Thor has that hammer, so that really always ruins everything for everybody. But Right. Yeah, I remember Thor and him going at it. So he was strong before. Now he's even more strong, but they don't really seem to play that up much. Yeah, and actually the, the actual competition between them or, or you know conflict is pretty short. This time, so maybe next issue. I mean, that's the thing about these Thor to be continues is like the next issue is always just a big fight. And then you and I don't know what to talk about because all the drama and stuff happened in this story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that's what happens. But I'm hoping not because of this whole time thing. Maybe it'll be a little different this time. Right. A little more story involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uh, he gives the Loki gives the police money. Like he pulls mm-hmm. out cash. Do you think he like magicked up some actual cash or do you think it's a trick and he like walks away and they the cash dissolves? I could see him doing either. I mean, he could probably just make an illusion out of it. Like his how he looks. Right. Um they don't really follow up, so I don't know. I guess he could just magically create cash too, because what's cash to an S Guardian? Nothing. Yeah, it's just it's just green paper. So mm-hmm. if they even have money in Asgard. Yeah. Um I feel like Don and Jane were really affectionate in this issue. Yes. It was rather nice, actually. Uh Um, Lots of deers and honeys and, you know, lovey-dovey talk. Yeah, she's all touching his face and stuff. Yeah. I felt like there was more, but now I can't find it. She she was touching his face. She was telling him to take her to dinner and, yeah, all that stuff. Um, Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Did you think that... On page four, that first panel, like uh-huh. 1970s Kirby, like came for a visit just <laughs> just for one moment. Yeah, he's getting there, isn't he? Yeah, that's some really that's intense very, inking. That's very blocky. And Loki is not handsome anymore. Like, that's not even a thing they're trying for. No. That was like his first appearance. Jane was all like hot for him. And now it's like, no, he's just going to be a weird troll looking <laughs> dude. She was, wasn't she? She was. Only next to Thor. Which kind of made sense because they're both gods, so that's how they were going. But then I guess they decided to make him more evil-ish right. as they went and along. And of course, of course, beautiful people can't be evil. Of course not. So he has to be ugly. Um, I love the like transformation he did, though. That was kind of epic. I'm sure it was just an illusion, but like to convince them that he's Loki and they should listen to him, do what he a, says. That is a heck of a panel. With all yeah, the creatures behind him, there's at least four pairs of eyes behind him. Uh huh. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, doubling their powers, though. I'm not entirely sure exactly what that means. I mean, Hyde, I guess, twice as strong. Does that mean Cobra is twice as slinky? Well, he was so fast in this that Thor couldn't barely even see him. So I don't think he was that fast before. I, I guess know. that is Maybe. twice as slinky. I guess it is. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it's funny that. They, they're kind of like, why Why should we go to this Don Blake guy and get Jane Foster? But they've been there before. Like, at some point, are they going to start putting this together? Oh, yeah. They've had encounters. Yeah. With Don. They were the ones who, like, were looking out the window when Don uh-huh. turned into Thor right behind them. Right. So they're it's like, dumb. oh, this, this Don guy again? That's a coincidence. And he this- was also the one at the machine show. Because remember the staff or the hammer or something was caught in the machine? and Right. So they're like, he's like, I can find Thor for you. Yeah, I don't know. At some point, they need to figure this out. This is why Cobra is going to be a bad leader of the Serpent Society. He's done. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. King Cobra. Eventually. He's very particular yeah. about that later. Yeah, right. So I love how they celebrate their victory by 
choosing to babysit a hostage for a day. Like, they're just going to go home and read comics with Jane there. Yeah. To make Thor suffer for I wasn't for sure what the end game for them was. Like, oh, meet us again at the same corner in exactly 24 hours. At that time, you'll surrender your hammer to us, and I'll finish you off forever. Why not just do that right now? It's that whole, like, villain thing of I've got to savor this victory. If I eat the candy bar too soon, it's going to be all gone, and I don't want to do that. And it gets them in trouble every time. Yeah, and meanwhile, they have this house, like, somewhere far away that he's not supposed to be able to find that has, like, all these traps and shit in it. So, like, was that also the goal? Or is that just a place Loki set up for them, or what? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's weird. That's because they said they're going to meet up at the corner again. Uh huh. But then they have all the traps in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of weird. Those trap, there. there must be a trap company for both DC and Marvel that just makes so much money. It's Acme. The cartoon people it, use it. It must be like, like I can't tell you how many Batman stories is like. Oh, this is just a diamond, a guy who steals diamonds or whatever. But somehow he's got this four thousand foot pit that has like flames coming out of it and like all this craziness. It's like, how did you install all this? Or like all the giant crap that Batman used to have to deal with, like in the fifties. Yeah. All the all the like I'm fighting a guy who has a, you know, giant typewriter that I have to dance across. Yeah, that's a whole different company, I guess. The giant people. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that if Loki had not I'm sorry, if Thor had not mentioned Jane Foster's name, if he had just said, I'm saving humans, father, then Odin wouldn't have cared? That's what I was wondering, like does Odin prefer that Thor not care about casualties, like, in general? Or is it just because of Jane? I remember the good old days whenever Earth was Odin's favorite people and, like, he loved humans more than life. Remember that, Odin? That was a nice Odin. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, even if it wasn't Jane, it's like, this guy had this woman and he was going to crush her skull, so I let him go. Like, wouldn't that make Odin happy? But no, you're not a hero. I don't know. Kind of weird. And why is Odin, why is Loki able to go back to earth these days all of a sudden i guess he's just not in jail anymore they they realized that keeping him in prison was absolutely useless <laughs> so why you bother somebody hey hey odin just just let you know loki's sending his presence other places again he's he's doing the eyeball thing on earth i, I don't yeah. think this prison thing is working out for him i mean do you want to keep him there and i was like yeah. i let him out i guess yeah might as well we're running out of bread and water anyway let him come to dinner um I made a I made a grammar note because Heimdall was mixing his pronouns. Um, he was. Page, yeah, page eight. See, I am fluent in thee, thou, ye, you speak. So in page eight on the last panel, Heimdall says, Halt, son of Odin. Know you that your father has banished thee from this land. You may not pass. That um, should be, Know thou that thy father has banished thee from this land. Thou mayest not pass. So if you're going to put a thee in there, you got to be consistent. They're still kind of like wishy-washy on the whether he speaks like that business or not. Right. I feel like. Like, I'm not sure Thor says the or anything anywhere in this, does he? I don't know. Not really. Yeah, he did. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're not really there yet. His, 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 his language has elevated as far as register, but it's not quite that far yet. Mm-hmm. He's not Every Shakespeare Every now yet. and then, like, hurls my, my power bolts hurl my hammer back at thee or something like that. Mm-hmm. Hey, there nine. it is. Yeah. There you go. I still love that Hemdel has a bedazzled H on his shield, by the way. That's yes. just awesome. Other than the bedazzled H, I felt like Idris Elba is really representing this aspect of Heimdall kind of perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, he loves Thor and their allies, but go against Odin and Heimdall would have fought back with deadly force. 
Which is odd because we all hate Odin now the way they portray him all the time. So it's like, why is anybody loyal to this fool? But that's okay. For the same reason the X-Men are loyal to Charles Xavier. Uh, yeah. They don't know Yeah, I, I assume someday we'll get Odin stories where like Odin is actually cool, but we haven't yet. Really. <laughs> um, I like what you, how... What do you think of Thor just not punching Loki right in the face immediately just because he's holding a flower, I guess? Yeah, Loki does not give any frogs whatsoever in that scene. Mm-hmm. You cannot threaten me, half-brother. Were I foolhardy enough to fight you, I know you would lash out like a thousand demons. But you cannot strike at one who stands quietly before you. Your stupid honor would not permit it. I guess, like, Loki is not in a battle stance, so Thor can't smack him? Yeah, I guess it works, because he doesn't. I guess. Do you have any thoughts on how Kirby's been opening up the art more of late? Like, page 10? Page 10, yeah. Two big panels instead of a bunch of little ones about Thor fighting gods or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And this is such a, this this is such a style Asgard of Thor actually. Go ahead. I was just going to say, this, this is such a divergent scene. I guess it gets him to where he needs to go, but it's like, wow, we're just battling as the entirety of Asgard for one page, mm-hmm. two pages, and then we're back to Earth again. That was like, wow. <laughs> In today's world, that would have been a, an entire trade paperback. But right. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, that's probably a good solid issue of I must go to Asgard and fight, Lo- you know, find Loki for the safety of Jane. There's an entire issue for you where he, you know, on the last couple pages, he finds Loki and then goes yeah. back to Earth. And the next chapter is the next issue. Right. Um, so we mentioned the house earlier full of traps. Where do you think it came from? I don't know. And I'm also suspect. I also wonder, and they're never going to answer me if like Odin purposely sent him directly there or not, because like. Like, is he still trying to help his son out even though he's being a jerk to his son? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he teleports and banishes him back to Earth, and then he happens to be exactly where he needs to be. Yeah, Odin is weird about that, though. Mm-hmm. He'll do, like, weird, I'm really mad at you, I don't like you, you've pissed me off, but I'm also going to do this little thing that helps you because I actually like you. Mm-hmm. I think he's Odin a liar. He's a liar. And, um... Yeah, it's like this big mansion that they have somehow. So I don't know where it came from. They don't really say. And it's tricked out with all the traps. Mm-hmm. So Thor is evident is, is ultimately overcome, at least briefly, by by tear gas. And I'm just like, okay, dude can survive in space. But you better be careful with that tear gas. That's a good point. But he's not unconscious from the tear gas. He's just getting beat on by Hyde while he can't see. So maybe it's not really affecting him that badly. It's more the getting beat on part. And then the big explosion that he creates on accident. Okay. Because okay. he's still standing and fighting. So I don't know. But he does say it's blinding, choking fumes or something which all my might cannot protect me from. So I don't know. He does get knocked out by the blast, which is kind of rare. Do you think that as a you know trained physician, he could be doing something for Jane besides praying at the end? Um, I thought he was going to transform back or something, and then there was going to be a whole like, hey, you're Don Blake, but that didn't happen. Instead, they did time travel, except it's not time travel. It's time stasis. He did the whole, um, what was that TV show about the girl who was like, her dad was an alien and she could freeze time by putting her fingers together? I remember that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was called. but Like uh, like another world? No, it's not another world. That was the Cosby spinoff. Something. (laughs) Right in, people. You know what we're talking about. I remember it. She was like blonde and something or other. She had like a mom and all that. Um, most people do. Yeah, most people do. But that's all she had because her dad was gone because he's an alien. Um, 
I like that it was time stop instead of time travel because I thought that's also where he was going. Like he was going to just rewind time. And I was like, oh, don't do that, Stan. That's too easy. Right. So it's time stop. Now he's actually almost made it worse for himself because like now what? He's surrounded by bad guys and she's going to die. As soon as he lets this return to normal, he's back in that exact same situation. So now what? But still, like any time Thor wants to, he can stop time. That's kind of powerful also. I don't know. Yeah, he his 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 hammer is is the is the Uru fashion a plot device. It can do literally anything he wants it to do. Yeah, I have a feeling we won't see this very often because I never knew he could do this before. So. Right? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just tried. He's like, <laughs> if I spin my hammer hard enough and hope for a margarita, it will appear. <laughs> By swinging my hammer in a prescribed manner, I have the power to circumvent time itself. Okay, he's swinging his hammer in a prescribed manner. Isn't he just making it in circles? Looks like circles to me. Is that prescribed manner circles? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, wait. Does time halt briefly every time Thor takes off into the air? Well, that would be awkward. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll see. I guess um, if he has all the time in the world, this is easy. He just transforms. Well, I don't know if he can transform in, in pause time, but he could at least maybe. I don't know. if you could, what, what could you do in pause time? Like he can't even operate or anything because like she's just stuck in time. I don't know how that works. That reminds me of that Doctor Who episode with What's-Her-Face, like Clara or whatever. Like, she's not dead, but she's not alive anymore either. She's sort of just stuck in her last moment. Like, what can you do with it? Nothing. Her heart's yeah, not beating. Yeah, it gets beating. very Dragon Nothing. Ball Z after a while. It's like, okay, yeah. these people are, are alive in everything but name. <laughs> Their hearts aren't beating. She's not breathing. I mean, I don't know what's happening. He's able to talk, apparently, and move. Right. So, I don't know. We'll find out. He's probably just going to do surgery on her for an hour or something and bring her back. Figured out. Pretty great. A uh, pretty great pinup from Kirby. Yep, I like when they throw those in there. I guess that means they were short a page or something, or yeah. they didn't. They didn't sell an ad. An ad, or I'm not sure. Are they getting ready for letter columns? Is it? No, we already had a letter column in this book. Huh. What What is the letter? Oh, the hammer strikes. There we go. Yeah. All right. So speaking of, there's another tale of Asgard after this. Uh, home of the mighty Norse gods. It's called The Defeat of Odin, another towering triumph of Marvel's talented Titanic team with Stanley Ryder, Jack Kirby, illustrator, Vince Coletta, delineator, and Art Simek letterer. Delineator? That's kind of interesting. Okay. And I don't remember this one. Oh, I do remember this one. This is really short and sweet. So there's this guy. His name was Rampok the Rebel, and he died. This is like a human army, I think. And anyway, his son... Prince Rivok is now for the first time waging war against Odin because I guess Rampok waged war against Odin a lot. Um, And he's like kind of freaking out because he's young and scared and Odin looks scary and has gods for an army. And they're they're at this place that's like volcanic and the volcano-y pockets and stuff are in between the two armies. And they say, charge, attack, and they both go at it. And Odin's guys gets stuck by fire and stuff because, like, the lava starts spewing out and everything. So Odin demands a retreat. And everybody's like, yay, fearless, Rivik, you're awesome. You beat Odin. And they're on their way home. The Asgardians are on their way home. And Thor's like, but father, we didn't really get beat. We could have just went around or pushed through it. Or we probably would have won anyway, right? And he's like, yes. But I purposely lost because I wanted to instill in man the knowledge that if they try really, really hard – they can sometimes win fights. The end. Stanley always seems to miss morals. Like, <laughs> not not quite get right there with them. 
He does better with Odin than the Watcher, but uh, yeah, this one was a little bonkers, kind of. I don't know. I don't know what I mean, they're I trying kinda, to say. Yeah. I kind of dig the premise of the hesitant son picking up the charge after his father died because he's not confident in his ability. He doesn't know if people are going to follow him. People who are following aren't sure if they should be following him. And, you know, mm-hmm. from their point of view, this little victory is probably really good for them. But Odin, like, letting them win so they can feel good about themselves, that seems weird. He says, what does he say? There must always be those with the fire of rebellion in their blood. There must always be those who will dare to fight an unbeatable enemy. Only thus can the race of man remain strong and fearless. Hmm. I'm, I'm hoping he thinks Rivik. I was waiting for the line where he says something like Rivik is a much better man than his father. Because otherwise, why is he always fighting Rampok? Right. Like, was there a reason? Rampok the rebel? Is he just a rebel? Is he a rebel because he's bad? Or is he a rebel because he doesn't want to listen to stupid Odin? I don't know. But they never really say that. So I don't know if they just traded one bad guy for another or what. Well, I looked these guys up. Okay. And guess what? Hmm. 55 years later, they still haven't shown up again. Well, then I guess we don't care. Lee and Kirby made them up, too. I don't, I don't think they're even uh, um, Asgardian names from the Legends. Well, do we know for sure? Because I think we're supposed to uh, consult with... Oh, well, we do have our consultant. Yeah. He is, he is on the line. Us. And by I mean on the line, I have his, his, his words in front of me. So um, we always like to uh, invite Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine of the Hammer Strikes podcast, uh, to give his thoughts on these tales of Asgard. He is our Asgardian advisor because he is a worshiper of the Norse gods. And he says, my first thought on reading this story is that it suffers from everyone knows syndrome. Everyone knows that when a king dies, his oldest son takes his place. Except that's not what happens with the Norse. While some weight is given... Yeah, right? While some weight is given to heredity, it's leadership ability that really matters. When choosing a new king, the entire community would come together at a thing. That was actual Norse word for a meeting to discuss and vote on various matters. It was called a thing. And they would make the decision on who the new king would be. This could even happen if the current ruler proved to be ineffective for whatever reason. The lack of faith that the captains have in Rivik means that he probably wouldn't have been chosen to be the new ruler. Hmm. So that's interesting. That's um, very interesting. Don't hear yeah, that very often. There's another paragraph here, but uh, what are you, any thoughts on that? Well, you just don't hear that very often when it comes to, like, you know, royalty and so forth. It's usually just passed on genetically for some reason. Right. Like in um, in Star Wars, they, on Naboo, they have the elected queen. And that always yeah, just sounded really true. strange to me because you say queen or king, you think, you know, hereditary monarchy. But um, kind of makes more sense, really. Right. Odin's characterization of the story, though, is spot on. As with my comments on the last issue, Odin has proven that he is willing to do whatever it takes to stave off Ragnarok. Oh, so that's his thought. He'd certainly be willing to tarnish his own reputation in order to achieve a long-term goal. I do have a hard time believing that an Asgardian retreat has never been sounded, though, before this. There are times when an army needs to retreat in order to regroup and attack again, especially if the enemy pulls some kind of surprise tactic. That's just a manly thing people say about armies, though, all the time. It's like, like a throwaway line. We've never retreated before. Yes, we've never lost. We've never retreated. Okay, sure. Right. You're so cool. Can I be your friend? Mm-hmm. So, yes, those were um, Gene's thoughts on this issue. Thank you very much, Gene. Um, I hadn't thought about the whole staving off Ragnarok. The, 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 the longer the Odin can keep the peace, the longer Ragnarok is far away. 
Yeah, it'll always come back. Eventually. And then you got to get the JSA in there fighting it over and over again forever. Wow. Okay. Sorry, that's a DC thing. Were you aware of that? No. Um, I knew they were disappeared. I didn't know it was because of Ragnarok. During the during the late pre-crisis era, so like getting close to the crisis but not there yet, or maybe it was as part of the crisis, I don't know, at some point the JSA were cursed to always be fighting Ragnarok. Mm, and so when you get to um, when you get to the Armageddon series of stories, Armageddon 2001 and everything, part of the plot there is freeing them from Ragnarok so they can actually be part of the DCU again. Awesome. Yeah. But this is not a Justice Society of America podcast. There has been a Justice Society of America podcast. There have been two, actually, that I know of. Um, This is not either one of them. Nope. I'd have to read Justice Society of America first. Right. And we're not doing that. Nope. Instead, we're reading Tales to Astonish. What is it? 60? Let me flip to it. 62. 62. So, as we said, all these issues are published on September 1st, 1964. Cover has a split cover. One half has Hulk versus the Chameleon. The other half has Giant Man uh, being attacked by the Wasp. What? Um, What? How are they fighting? With a whole bunch of diamonds behind them. Mm. Well, like giant diamonds, because they're tiny. I guess it'd be Ant-Man getting attacked by the Wasp, then not Giant Man. I'm suspicious. Uh, yeah, it seems it seems unlikely. Like there might be something else going on with this situation. Either that, or Henry has missed one too many dates, and Jan is just pissed because she has every right to be. You call that diamonds? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Giant Man versus the Wonderful Wasp, written as if you couldn't guess by now, by Smiling Stan Lee, drawn. And here's a little twist for you by Capricious Carlos Burgos. Inked as if he knew what he was doing by Devastating Dickie Ayers. And lettered as though each syllable were a gem by Amenable Artie Simic. They actually wow. like elevated Artie on that one. Wow. It makes me happy. Yeah, really. Okay. Um, so Giant Man has found a way to speed up the growth of plant life. I don't think it's the same thing oh, yeah. as just like making the plants bigger like he does for himself. It's actually caused the plants to grow faster. So he does it and the plant like grows out of control. Like it starts growing um, and, and like overflowing his building and like taking over the city block that he's on. So he's like, oh no, I got to go uh, find the taproot and kill it. I don't really know what a taproot is because I don't know gardening. But if he kills the taproot, it'll kill the whole plant. So he shrinks down to Ant-Man, goes against some book of matches and finds the taproot and severs it from the rest of the plant. Wow, this should do the trick. Okay, okay, crisis averted. Meanwhile, um, dude is robbing an apartment and, like, finds their jewelry and, like, dumps it on the floor. He's like, oh, no, this is all paste and costume jewelry. So he gets out of there before he gets found. He's on the ledge when the couple comes in. Oh, no, we've been robbed. Uh, While he's on the ledge, though, the still-growing plant comes near him and he gets uh, caught by one of the long, long leaves and he slides down it like it's adventure time um, and lands outside of the apartment of Hank Pym. Hank Pym is doing more um, uh, experiments and he trips over nothing and falls over and hits himself (laughs) on the head. And dude's like, I know that suit. That's Giant Man. (gasps) Giant Man is Henry Pym? Because he finds a car that says Henry Pym on it. You know what? I bet you 
I bet you I could be giant man. All I got to do is strip this guy naked while he's unconscious because that's not sexual assault at all. Um, so he does. He sexually assaults Henry Pym by stripping him <laughs> naked while he's unconscious. And uh, he puts on the giant man costume and he figures out that, you know, if he just sends the right message into his into his helmet, his little mask, he'll shoot up big. He shoots up so big, he's like bursting out of the ceiling. And he's like, no, 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 no. I got to fix it. So he shrinks back down to, to ant size and then he goes to normal size and then he hears somebody at the door. It's Jan. Jan. No, Jan says, Henry Pym. You know, and he's like, I don't know who this woman is. Skadoosh. And he runs out the door. So then he's like, okay, I'm giant man now. I can turn small. I can turn big. I can steal stuff. <gasps> There's a diamond store. I'm going to steal stuff. So he turns into Ant-Man, crawls towards the, uh, the store, um, gets, um, I think he like turns giant briefly and sets off the alarm, but then turns tiny again to hide from the police. Um, the wasp responds to the alarm and she's like, hey, that's Ant-Man down there. What's he doing? And, um... She tries to talk to him, but he beats her up, doesn't beat her up. They start fighting. She actually holds her own against this fake Ant-Man pretty great. Um, and um, Henry wakes up, uh, sees something on the screen, maybe uh, ant communication or something about the wasp. So um, the fake Ant-Man tricks the wasp into walking into a particular place. Then he drops the lid over her. It turns out it's a jewelry container that she was standing inside. So now she's trapped inside the jewelry container. Um, Ant-Man uses an ant to carry him to the place. Um, I don't know. There's a fight between the real Ant-Man and the fake Ant-Man. And at some point, he gets the fake Ant-Man arrested. <laughs> I don't really remember how it, how it ends. Uh, yeah, and then they fix the whole tree thing. You said yeah. that already, probably. Oh, yeah, because yeah, the, the, <laughs> the plant thing actually hadn't ever been fixed. That's why I was still growing whenever the bad guy slid down the thing. It kind of becomes a, a non-issue in the story. Henry looks out the window and is like, oh, great. Plant's still growing. Crap. And then on the last page, he like fixes it. So, <gasps> Oh, actually, he's a biochemist, so he gave him a potion that raised his memory because he knew who Hank Pym was. And that's not morally ambiguous or anything. Uh, well, he's just getting him back for the sexual assault. Yeah, right. So is it just me i don't know like i can't tell if it's because hulk's here now or if it's just coincidence but i am so done with giant man like <laughs> can we stop reading giant man soon i'm bored of giant man he's so crap now he 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 has not served uh like like lasted the years as well this is the eighth from the end can you make it through seven more giant mans oh we're gonna i'm not gonna quit but i'm just saying like if we could get rid of giant man and the wasp and Human Torch and the Thing, our life would be so much better on yeah. the show. Those yeah. are the only two where I kind of groan every time I have to read one of them. It's not too terribly much longer. Yeah. We, we, like we this, will survive. This in particular was just not great all around. Like, this whole plant thing was weird. Like, okay, he just does that now, I guess. Yeah. And and his the whole secret like does do we care about Hank Pym's secret identity like no, at all? No, we, we explicitly don't. Like right. people know who Hank Pym is. They go to his house and yeah. celebrate Giant Man. He hasn't been Hank Pym in forever. So the burglar dude just doesn't know what's going on in life. I'm guessing we can chalk it up to his ignorance and dumbness. Yeah. But why um, erase his memory then either? Like, who cares? I don't know. He He's just constantly Giant Man all the time. Yeah, Even when he's I Hank Pym, either. it's just his mask off and he's at a laboratory. Yeah, it's weird. Um. 
What do you think of the split covers? Do you like split covers or do you prefer whenever they start alternating? Who um, gets the cover? I think split covers are fun. They're very Marvel. They I are like very them. Marvel. I like them. You would sometimes get split covers on like the 100 pagers at DC, but usually it's just one one hero gets the cover. To me, DC is more like the character in the middle and then like eight different panels around. That's like mm-hmm. a DC. That's a DC trope. And then with Marvel, it's like the split. I would say that it's probably hard for the artist to do a dynamic split sometimes. They're not all great covers, but right. But it's cool. So do I have any other thoughts on the story here? What about um, her, her new her new face, her new costume? I like her new, like, I like the little W on her forehead. It's mm-hmm. cute. Yeah, that's cool. I'm kind of like, so here's an idea. Here's something that it's maybe annoying me. Like, if I'm trying to think of a scenario that's almost like this, but not like this. Like, let's think of another, like, if some guy found an unconscious Captain America and stripped him and took his shield and was running around the city being bad how long how many panels would it take the falcon to beat him to death <laughs> like one right right so why does it take the wasp why can't the wasp just destroy this guy you know what i mean like okay i get it he's got giant man powers but she's a professional superhero and he's not you're right he is she is a professional superhero she should be taking the tar out of him yeah um, she knows how shrinking works too so but to be fair she's been doing more these last couple issues than like in the entire year previous that's true. Yeah, she did take care of most of this problem for him. Right. Till the end. Now, Carl Burgos is our artist here. Uh, oh, yeah. He, we, we, there, there, there's some stuff behind Carl Burgos. He, uh, he did a Torch story just a few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, which was the first appearance of the Beatle. He's going to do a little run of Giant Man Wasp stories for us. And I don't know the details of the story well enough, but at some point he sues Marvel over the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. This may have been before that or when he's like, made his complaints known and they're trying to find ways to make him happy, but I'm just not sure of the timeline. Yeah, you think he wouldn't be working for them if he's suing them, so right. must be on or before that. It's not great. Like, it's okay. I think I liked whoever we had before, whose name I already forgot. Artie Simek, maybe? Artie was not the artist. <laughs> I don't know. Who did it's, we have before? It's a weirdly constructed story. I think we had Dick Ayers before. It's oh, just, Dick it, Ayers, It's yeah. put together weirdly. The there are connections that don't really connect. Like the whole plant thing doesn't really gel in the story itself. Mm-hmm. Like it's irrelevant. It just it just gets the guy to fall over or whatever, or right. slide slide down to the whatever. It's really important in like a couple of very small parts of the story, and the rest it's a present threat, but the story doesn't care. Nope. And it's just one more thing Pym is doing. Like Pym, it's almost a joke at this point how many areas of expertise Pym has, you know? Which <laughs> we've always known. how much Pym is messing up those areas of expertise. <laughs> well, that too. But like, geez. And he hasn't even gotten to robots yet. So, you know, uh, that's coming. Can you just imagine the town? Is that is that Pym's laboratory that's coming from? For the love of Pete, come on. What yeah, is that really? man doing up there? I think like maybe Tony Stark should start auditing him once a month or something. Like, what are you working on right now that's going to backfire and try and kill us all? Okay, Henry, we know you're an Avenger, but we got to have a conversation about the bills that you're ranking up from your bad science gone wrong. Yes, yes. No more plants. That that didn't work. Forget robots. Right. The shrinking thing you got down. That's pretty cool. Shrinking growing, and growing. Stick to that. Growing that up eh, too. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I'm done with this story if you are. Yeah, basically, the only other thing I had 
besides the fact that Daily Bugle makes appearance on the last page. Um, oh. The other thing I had yeah. is that Janet went home before all of this happened. How did she not see Henry Pym lying unconscious on the floor? He was in a closet. I remember oh, that. And he forgot okay. to lock the door. The guy's like putting him in the closet and then she showed up and he's like, oh, and he left, but he didn't lock it. So that's how once his face got out. God, why do I remember that? I don't know, but I do. All right. Well, I guess that takes us to the Hulk. Yes. So this is called Enter the Chameleon. Sensationally scripted by Stan Lee. Dynamically drawn by Steve Ditko. Impeccably inked by George Bell and lovingly lettered by Sam Rosen. Um, all right. So we get a brief conversation between bad guys. Mm-hmm. New character in a, a helmet. So we can't see his look. Somewhere, some way, this character called the leader is contacting the chameleon over some sort of electronic doodad. And um, he tells the chameleon that the agent he sent to General Ross's missile base has not reported back. So brief aside before I continue the synopsis, I got my story points confused. I knew the chameleon came along since they were not showing us the guy's face in the last two chapters, the one who stole the robot. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to turn out to be the chameleon. Oh, but nope. He's he's in a bottomless pit somewhere. Yeah, he fell to a bottomless pit and he dead. So we he's, never know who that was. I guess nope. it didn't matter. Useless dude, dead now. Don't care. A leader, pe- <laughs> a leader's peon, I guess. Yeah, yes. interesting. He, we can call him the follower. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the fallen. Yeah, the fallen follower. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, meanwhile, Rick Jones is like, "Hey, um, Cap." I know that everyone else said I was going to be your partner and you were going to take me under your wing, but since that's just kind of a thing they made up and I'm not actually your partner, um, I'm not actually Bucky and it's kind of weird whenever we talk about it because you always get angry at me. I'm going to go. Um, I want to go see my friend, Dr. Banner. And Cat's like, hi. And no. <laughs> I good. I'm Captain America. <laughs> he wishes Rick his best, and Rick flies away, not realizing that he's actually sitting next to uh, the chameleon on the flight. Oh. Um, so meanwhile, back at Thunderbolt Ross's base, they have captured the Hulk last issue. He is in these really huge, strong bands that ironically were designed by Bruce Banner. So the Hulk is in his own imprisonment device. Um, Rick Jones shows up to try to figure out some way to help him because, of course, he's the Hulk's buddy. He feels really bad for abandoning the Hulk, and he wants to go find some way to help out. So he's on base, and he talks to Glenn Talbot. He talks to Betty. Um, he tries to figure out a way to help uh, Bruce. Meanwhile, the chameleon is skulking around on base. He impersonates Ross and goes and tells Hulk, Hey, if you agree to take orders from me, I can set you free. Hulk's like, You're not my friend. I ain't talking to you. Go away. Because he knows that, you know, Ross wants to kill him. So um, eventually Hulk, like, gets really upset and his heart rate increases. And that, of course, triggers the incredible transformation of Hulk back to Bruce. Bruce is running around half naked and Rick sees him. Hey, Bruce, get over here. I'll get you some clothes. So Rick gets Bruce some clothes. He's like, I'm so sorry I left you. I felt like a deserter. 
And Bruce is like, that's okay. Thank you so much for taking care of me. And Rick Jones disappears from the story and goes back to the Avengers. Um, <laughs> so Bruce Banner is just like back on base. And Glenn is suspicious and Ross is upset. Last time they saw Bruce, he was uh, going after that robot with uh, machinery. and wasn't supposed to be doing that. And he's just disappeared for a while. And he's like, I just... I was doing some investigations and like got lost in some caves. I didn't know that I was in trouble. I'm back now. Hi, how's it going? And they're like, you yappity, yappity, spickety, spackety. So while Bruce is, you know, kind of living his life, the chameleon um, grabs him and shoves him in a closet and puts on his Bruce Banner face. Under that mask is another Bruce Banner face. Um, And as the fake Bruce Banner, he goes and starts stealing stuff about the grenade type gamma bomb for the leader. And Betty's like, Hey, Bruce. And Chameleon Bruce is like, um, um, bye. And he skadooshes away. Um, Betty's like, hey, you're not Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner would love me and he would say nice things to me. And, and you're not Bruce. Meanwhile, Bruce is stuffed in the closet. And rather than singing an R. Kelly song because R. Kelly is a bad person, he decides to turn to the Hulk again instead. Um, and Hulk, um, like, hulks out and goes after Chameleon Bruce and Betty. And um, for some reason, he runs away. I forget exactly why. Because he has a because chameleon but has chameleon a gamma Bruce bomb. Takes Betty out and puts her because there is a gamma bomb. Because chameleon is holding one. If I drop it, we all die. So. Oh, that's right. He's got a gamma bomb in his hands. I thought it was just on the formula. He's only the actual gamma bomb and the formula. So he, uh, Bruce is like, okay. Um, so chameleon Bruce puts Betty in this like rocket sled that's going to get tested. It's like a high speed, you know, vehicle. So he puts her in it and launches it. Hulk jumps in front and shoves it to a stop like Superman. Um, Hulk goes after not Bruce. The gamma bomb is about to explode. So he throws himself on it to shield everybody from the blast. It explodes, turns him back to Bruce. Betty wanders back onto campus. Bruce wanders back onto campus. Everyone's like, what the hell is going on? And meanwhile, the leader is like, hey, Chameleon didn't work out for me but I'm doing science and there's this weird bubbly blue figure in this tube of liquid science next issue, the leader. Oh, so we get two issues out of the leader. Cool. Uh, we get a little run out of the leader. I was being sarcastic. Oh, yeah, he's, like- only, he's only like the biggest Hulk villain of all time. So we'll probably get a yeah. lot of leader. We might get a lot of leader, but this does not do the whole resolve in one, uh, in one issue thing. They, um, this is a little story for a while. I know it's Good. kind of already been a little story for a while, but it's even mm-hmm. more of a little story for a while. Awesome. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, I know that like there's a lot of Hulk out there. I like this early run of Ditko Hulk. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it lasts. I think it's only like five or six issues, but it's pretty cool so far. Yeah. It's like a weird um, – it's a weird little toy box for him to play in, the Hulk, because you don't think of Ditko. When you think of Ditko, you either think of Spider-Man or you think of like a guy who likes mysterious, weird things. And Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange or didn't he also do like uh, – the faceless guy. I forget his name already. Um, the question. Mr. A. The question or whatever. Didn't he I do the question? I think he did the question for Carlton. He did yeah. Blue Beetle. Okay. The, well, that's odd too. Ted, but yeah, the like the Hulk, stuff. The Hulk is like monsters and like desert and stuff. So I don't really think Ditko, but he, he's he's pulling it off. It looks cool. Yeah. And like this particular take on the Hulk psychology it works pretty well for Ditko. It's almost perfect, except for the part where if the Hulk gets really mad, he turns to Bruce Banner. That's a little bonkers still, but otherwise, they're they're almost there. Yeah, yeah. It just it's, it just doesn't make logical sense that he would get angry and turn into the Hulk, and then just like calm down and be happy as the Hulk, and therefore have to get angry again to turn back into Bruce. It does it help him escape, though. But yeah, 
it does help him escape. Um, I guess he could have just calmed down to escape. But anyway. Yeah, yeah it could have just gone the other way. Could have fallen asleep because he got bored. Um, but the leader. The leader. I never, I've never. i never read a lot of leader. I've certainly not read his first appearance where he doesn't look like the leader. So that's kind of cool. I was surprised. Yeah, I, I think it's fun that they left his helmet on for this since he's not really the focus of the story. And mm-hmm. they saved the artistic reveal for next issue. That was some, a neat storytelling choice. Mm-hmm. And the chameleon. The last time we saw him, he was pretending to be Captain America. Yeah, and he got arrested. And now he's just out and about. Boy, these guys, they just don't stay in jail, I guess. No, we don't. And the last time we saw Rick Jones was in the Avengers 8 when he and the Teen Brigade infiltrated Kang's ship. Um, the Teen Brigade showed up again briefly the next issue, but Rick Jones wasn't mentioned as being with them. Um, and here he's just taking a brief trip to, to see the Hulk and he leaves again. So if you're a Captain America completist, you got to pick up this issue for one panel. I used to be that and I never knew about this issue. So there you go. Well, I think we read that one scene for our podcast. <laughs> oh, did we? I yeah. forgot. Yeah. It's a horrible conversation. It's like, I understand, Rick. The Hulk was once your friend. Like, that's okay. He kind of still is, but okay. You feel you must go to his aid, just as Bucky Barnes would have once gone to mine. So first of all, ugh, that's horrible. And then Rick makes it worse by saying, you still can't forget about your dead partner, huh? Sounds like he's <laughs> exasperated. I know. It's like, God, he's been dead for months now. Get over it. Uh. So that's just weird. Anyway, don't want to miss my jet. See ya. I wonder if, like, Tony paid for that plane ticket, because how did Rick get money? Anyway, I think about those things because I'm old, uh, and I can't afford to go anywhere. Kids will do that. I do like that they sat next to each other, the Chameleon and Rick, though. That was kind of cool. Chameleon actually fun. fooled me a few times. Like, his his disguise is really good, because every once in a while, I'd see Bruce Banner on the panel, and I'd start reading it, and then go, oh, yeah, that's not Bruce Banner. Yeah, I think that Chameleon's job in this story was done very, very well. It's one of the... I mean, for being a just a little 10-page story involving the chameleon, it, it's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still don't hate Talbot yet, but he's he's getting there. He's going to get there. You know he's going to get there. Yeah, I, I'm kind of annoyed with him from page one, but uh, I understand that you, you like Talbot more. So, Well, he's just not over overtly nasty yet. He's just doing his job, and his job happens to be skewed in the not in the favor of our hero, so we're supposed to not like him, but... According, you know, according to all the the stuff that he was given, Bruce Banner is suspicious, and he is suspicious because he doesn't tell everybody what's going on. Um, Betty makes some pretty smart deductions with the fake Bruce, although the narration attributes it, attributes it to her female superpowers. Uh huh. Possessed by an intuition which only females seem to have, Betty Ross suddenly realizes. First time something very important in Hulk comics happens, though. Oh yeah. He hulks out to save Betty. <gasps> Never That's done that right. before. He's hulked out to rape Betty, but not to save her. <laughs> I had forgotten, sir. <laughs> Why did you make me remember? <laughs> so that was kind of neat. Stuck in a closet, hearing her in danger, turns to the Hulk. That's going to happen a lot. I made a reference to it. Have you ever run across R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet? No. Music? No, I didn't know that one. So... Um, it's Josh Bertone's fault. Okay. But he did this whole series of music videos that are like this, like protracted saga and it's called trapped in the closet. Um, I recommend the first couple just because it's so bizarre, but you know, listen at your own risk because you might get sucked into the storyline, which becomes very, very strange after a while. Basically it opens up. He's, um, 
it's the morning after sleeping with some woman and he's trapped in the closet because her husband is coming home. And mm. the song is just like narrating the saga of like, you know, the husband coming home and confronting him and all this other stuff and the, the melodrama, but it's all sung. Mm. Anyways. I've never heard you talk about anything except Lisa Loeb. So I'm kind of surprised you, you knew something that I didn't know about music. So awesome. You say <laughs> I only hear what I want to. <laughs> The Hulk, the Hulk vaguely remembers the Gamma Bomb and a little tiny part of Dr. Banner way, way deep inside won't let him uh, let the base be wiped out. Yeah. So there's a little control there. I like whenever, you know, in the middle of everything, he gets this like notion of maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. I don't really know why, but I feel like. (laughs) What would Banner do? WWBD. Yeah. Um, so the whole thing with, uh, Chameleon Bruce could have been really bad for mm-hmm. Banner's situation. Yes. Cause he's already under suspicion for little or no reason, except, you know, his mysterious disappearances, which I guess is reason on a military base. Um, but you know, with, with fake Banner, Chameleon Banner doing all these crimes it, and looking like him and Talbot seeing him and everything else, it could have gone really bad. But the only reason they believe it is, is... Betty, so that's kind of interesting. I'm surprised they just went with that. There's yeah. no other proof. In fact, even Betty never sees good Banner. She sees the Hulk. So, I mean, he could be Banner, but she just thinks that's not Banner because he's weird, acting weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway. And my last thought on this is, is it kind of weird how much they say female instead of woman in comics? Is that a thing in 1964, the way people talked or something? Um, I don't know. It's just like just female superpowers. You mean? Well, page, page seven, panel four. A rocket speed velocity test stud. Just a thing to hide a meddling female in. Mm. But like you know, Reed and Ben refer to Sue as a female. Hank refers to Jan as a female. It seems like um, a slam, doesn't it? Like they use it for uh, for insulting purposes. Yeah, like they don't know what other word to use. So we're just going to call just it a f- dumb female. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are women. Yeah. It doesn't sound as know, insulting when weird. you say women. Like I'm if sure you it's, say, it's fine. It's just weird. A rocket speed test velocity test. Just the thing to hide a meddling woman in. That doesn't sound as bad. Meddling female. No. Yeah. Female. Those damn females always getting in the way of our communism. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what the leader is, I'm not sure actually, but anyway, the he man, woman haters, communist club. <laughs> <laughs> all right how about x-men 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 number eight we've read eight of these all right so before i even start can we agree on how to pronounce this name because it could be a number of things is it okay, un- how do you, how do you- is it unus or unus or unus or unus i always say either unus or unus or unus i didn't even think of unus i, think I like unus you like Eunice? Let's go Eunice. Okay, sounds less like anus. But it's spelled N-U... I'm sorry, U-N-U-S for those who don't read along. So you all tell us what you think it's supposed to mean, because I have no idea. Yeah, anyway. Never have the X-Men fought a foe as unstoppable as Eunice. Never have the X-Men come so close to being split up. And never have you read such a boastful blurb. Actually, now, I think we have. but We have. Now that we've agreed on how to pronounce it, can we also agree that it's an extremely unfortunate name? 
it's horrible name. Oh, it's okay. really bad. And that's the first thing you think of when you see it too. And it's all in big bold letters everywhere throughout this issue. So mm-hmm. it's the worst. Anyway, the uncanny threat of Eunice the Untouchable, produced by Marvel's Fantastic Foursome, Stanley Ryder, Jack Kirby, artist, Schick Stone, Inker, and Sam Rosen letterer. And it starts out with training session. Only this time the training is being led by Cyclops. So he's not even suited up. He's oh actually he's literally suited up in a suit instead of in the X-Men outfits and he's pushing them the same way like Professor X did always doing jerk moves when they're not expecting it and stuff like that and then they complain and he goes hey that's how real world battles are fought and then they're like okay yeah you're right and then he's like okay sorry gang anyway enough for today and they're like hey you want to go to the sock hop with us and he's like no I'm the leader now I can't associate myself with any of you even though I love Gene and then Gene thinks even though I love him if only he'd love me and then he thinks oh if only I could love her oh the angst. Anyway, so we cut to them going to the sock hop. I'm making that up. I don't know where they're going. I can't remember. But they're Iceman and Beast are walking around in civvy outfits. And there's a kid stuck on the top of a well. I guess he was up to no good and he got stuck up there. So Beast just rips off his shoes and climbs up there Beast style, saves the kid. And then when he gets back down, he's confronted by an angry mob who all have decided that he is a mutant. And that means he's a freak. So let's beat him up. So it's all Bobby and Hank can do to get out of there. Um, their clothes are ripped. Their suits are torn. Um, they almost don't make it. And they go back to the mansion. And Iceman's kind of okay with it. Or Bobby's kind of okay with it. But Hank is not having it. He's like, I can't believe they turned on me. And here I am all these years practicing and training to like protect them from evil mutants and this is the thanks i get forget it i'm quitting so uh that freaks out cyclops he uses um a weird version of the cerebro that isn't quite worked out yet to contact uh professor x to see if he has any advice professor x is in a mechanical like tractor wheelchair thing with a mining cap on going under the ground um he, the he's on, cave. he says he's on the trail of Lucifer and he can't talk right now. So I guess we'll come back to him later someday because we don't know what's going on with him. Um, anyway, Hank does end up leaving. They all wish him good luck. They kind of wish he didn't go, but he goes. One week later, he's the new wrestling personality, the Beast. And he's thinking to himself, uh, he could be a millionaire in a year, the rate things are going. Because, you know, they don't know he's a mutant. They just think he's awesome. Um, anyway, they put him in the ring with this guy named Eunice. And Eunice's power seems to be that you can't touch him. So as much as the Beast tries to punch him and kick him and bounce off him, he just hits like this invisible wall and falls off. In fact, he falls out of the ring so hard that he, he I don't know, there's like a time limit rule for him to get back in the ring. And he goes beyond it and he loses the match for the first time. Um, meanwhile, while he's out of the ring, he sees Mastermind watching the whole thing, kind of puts two and two together. This Eunice guy must be a... Not only a mutant, but he must be shopping his wares to the Brotherhood of Evil. So he doesn't like that. Uh, meanwhile, it cuts to the mastermind actually telling Eunice, yes, you can join us. But first, you need to go like prove yourself by Robin Banks and stuff. So he goes to do that. The X-Men come across him. He has like this fancy new leotard to be a supervillain. They try and beat him. The angel attacks first. Nothing can stop the power of the angel. But the angel falls easily and dies and stuff. Anyway, he beats them all up because nobody can touch him. And at some point, Angel does manage to pick him up. Or actually, Angel gets grabbed by him because he can touch them. And Angel flies up 
And he kind of just leaves them on top of a building, at which point they're all like, well, that's better than nothing. Let's get out of here because we can't do anything else. They go home. They find the beast. The beast is creating an, a weapon or he's creating something. Oh, he's creating a uh, – let me back up here a little bit. He says he's creating this cool little box machine thing that's going to increase Eunice's powers. This, of right. course, leaves all his friends – a god, a god, aghast, and they're like, no, no, you can't do that. Don't increase his powers. We don't trust you. So they try and defeat the beast because that's how Marvel works. And the beast jumps out the window and he finds Eunice and he zaps him with it and it does increase his powers. And all the X-Men are like, I can't believe you did that. And he's like, wait, just wait. Trust me. Give me a little trust. And here's where it works out for them because he did increase their power. He did increase Eunice's powers to the point where now Eunice can't touch anything either. It used to be only he couldn't be touched. Now when he tries to reach out to like pick up the phone, it flies away or a chair, it flies away. He goes to a diner because he starts to get hungry and he can't grab the steak. So it's kind of like that whole King Midas thing. Now he's freaking out. He's going to die. Um, the X-Men go find him in this diner where he's freaking out. And he's like, and Beast is like, listen, I have an antidote for this, but you have to promise to just disappear from life forever and, you know, not be a member of the brotherhood or do anything evil anymore, or else I'll find you and zap you again and then throw the antidote away. He says, yes, yes, I agree. I promise walks away Kirby style. And they're all like, Hey beast, we, we, we trusted you the entire time. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. The end. Hubba, hubba, hubba. Eunice, Eunice, Eunice. Who do you trust? <laughs> Me? This town needs a Eunice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I, I like the first half of this thing, and then something happened. But it was uh, fun for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, actually, I, 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 I don't know. I think I like most of it. Most um, of it, yeah. It's, it's a just, good resolution, too. It is and it is, and that's where it falls apart for me a little bit. Like, But we can get to that. That's the end. Um, okay. This is the first issue in 10 months that does not feature the Brotherhood. Yes. So that right there is amazing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It was nice to get a different villain for once. Um, and they open with training again because this is an X-Men book. And that was kind of fun. And Gina's uh, threading laces, which, okay. Yes. Threading laces through a, through a uh, you know. Whatever that is. Yeah. Whatever that board with holes in it. Punch board. Um, that's probably a great way to practice the, you know, precision of her telekinesis, uh-huh. but it's just so stereotypy. It is a bit stereotypy. And it also feels like it's something you could do on your own time versus team mm-hmm. training. Team training should right. be about like working with the team. I also don't get why Cyclops doesn't participate if he's planning to be part of the team still and fight with them. Like he should also be in it. He doesn't know how to be a leader. He's just professor Xing. He really is just, and he's miserable. Like he knows that he sucks at it. I think. Right. Um, so that'll be interesting if he ever gets his act together or figures this out. But You mentioned this a little bit last issue, but it really comes together here. The Iceman finally gets his like actual icy oh. look. Yes, he does. By concentrating to crystallize his ice, I guess. But here's where it gets kind of fuzzy for me. If his body is coated in ice, then we should see his body underneath it. Yeah, that's if never been the case, is- huh? Right, if his body is ice all the way through, then, you know, he's ice. Because ice is translucent. You should be able to see through it. Well, you saw, I know you saw it because we talked about it, X-Men 3. We talked about X-Men 3, right? The Last Stand? Yeah. Okay. What did you think of that, you know, more movie version? Remember remember that whole scene where he's like, you should have left that school. You should have stayed in it or whatever. Remember where he's fighting Pyro? Yeah, he turns icy there, doesn't he? Uh Uh-huh. 
No, I'm just thinking like like later in in continuity, whenever like his powers are enhanced because he learns how to turn his entire body to ice. Okay. And I was like, isn't that what he's always been doing? No, because like, I did like the visual effects of like Spider-Man and his amazing friends. He just coats himself and then breaks the block, right? Well, then why can't we see Bobby inside there running around, a little Bobby hanging down? <laughs> I don't, well, he's wearing shorts. It's clear. You can see the shorts. There's lines for shorts. As he gets older, though, he's going to have to lengthen the shorts or we're going to get some reveal. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It is a little weird. There should be some sort of shape in there, maybe. Yeah, I, it, I don't know. It just seems like the visual concept of Iceman does not quite jibe with the actual concept of Iceman. Mm-hmm. Just, just in my head, it, it's obviously a nitpicky detail that doesn't really matter. No, it's almost cooler when he was Snowman. But anyway, um, um, so this is like the first time that. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking, or not necessarily, not sure about. This is the first time that we have a mutant riot, like a, a yes, like the like the bat, like the humans are just like, oh no, a stinking mutant, and they try and kill him and stuff. And I thought, like, well, maybe they're they figured out that this is a cool story plot. But then I was wondering. Is it because Beast is not dressed as the Beast? Like, if he was an X-Men right now saving this kid, would they be cool with it? Like, do they not know that the X-Men are mutants? Or was that just, like, because of issues one through six when they were X-Men walking around everybody loved them? Now, you may be tapping on some headcanon fodder here that, like, the public opinion hasn't really thought about how just anyone among them could be a mutant. Mm-hmm. And then somebody in their midst suddenly takes off his shoes and has superpowers. Yeah. And like, that's scary. And maybe that starts making the media and making the news and becoming a public point of conversation. Right. But you're right that this is the first instance of mutant hatred in this book. The superheroes have been fine, like you said. But now, because um, you notice that Bobby isn't worried about being found out as mutants. No. He's worried about being recognized as X-Men. Which makes no sense because you can't see Hank and go, oh, I know that guy. Like, right. That's He's not that distinct looking. So yeah, why, I don't think. Go ahead. I don't think the beast powers are that distinctive, but you know, pretend that they were. Pretend he likes, you know, started shooting out spider webs or something. You know, they know it's Spider-Man. But why is, um, why does Magneto want to take over the world? Just because he's a punk ass? I mean, he is. It's not about fear of being killed by humans or or humans fear of them or anything at this point at or, this point in the story you're right at this point he is just being a punk ass yeah homo superior should rule okay so we're yeah. the next stage in man's evolution and man needs to die that's so really this, his line right now so this is the new nuance and pretty soon maybe magneto will start using this as an excuse to want to wipe them out also it does feel like it becomes an excuse not a reason mm-hmm. yeah he hasn't mentioned it before so so the crowd works itself up. Uh, like somebody starts saying, oh, no, it's mutants. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Oh, no, it's mutants. And they work themselves up. And I feel like this becomes kind of an important moment for Hank. Um, so, yeah, that's where this story is awesome and then kind of tanks for me. Because I really like this scene and I really like how upset he gets. Mm-hmm. I mean, he claims that he's rational right now. But I also feel like he's just lying because he just looks really upset and he's making quick decisions. And um but he should be upset because he was almost killed by a mob. That's not something that happens to people every day, you know? And he was almost killed by a mob for who he is. So that's scary. For just being a person, right? Just being a what he was born to be. So I liked all this business and I liked him quitting. 
I just don't know if the resolution was very good. Like him coming back, like did he get over all this? They don't really follow up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. They kind of drop that thread and just let it go. Uh Um, But but just focusing on the moment for just a moment, I Mm -hmm. I feel like in the course of X-Men history, Hank Pym has often been seen to have a dark side. Mm -hmm. I feel like his altruism is sometimes a bit forced, not forced from the writer's perspective, but forced from the character's perspective. Like he's kind of putting up a face of being a good guy better than he necessarily is. Okay. Um, which one, down, which one could argue makes him a good guy because as long as your actions are good, it doesn't really matter what your motivation is, right? Right, which is not a knock on the character. I just think it makes him a bit more complex. You know, deep right, yeah, down, yeah. he's he's not really that nice of a guy. He's mm-hmm. taking an, he's making an effort to be a nice guy. Right, yeah. Um, but also, this is a really big continuity note. Okay. For those who don't know, because at this point in the timeline – or at least in a timeline very similar to this one, when the beast of the future shows up and whisks all the teenage X-Men to the future, giving them excuse they need to fight off a mutant genocide, and that takes us into Brian Michael Bendis' all-new X-Men run in 2012. So this beast is gone when that happens? Uh, as he's running out of the office, he runs into himself. Oh, okay. Cool. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. Um, I think very, you know technically it's not the same timeline. Um, It's just a very, very similar timeline. Obviously he changed everything by doing that. So, right. So anyways, professor X, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, no, I don't. So I assume they're going to tell us about it later. Uh, Um, It's just just really random. And I had no expectation that this is where professor X would be right now. Yeah. I think this is an early attempt at building up to a plot point. Mm hmm. You know, it's not necessarily a continued story, but it's like trying to make a subplot that turns into the main plot. Um, without giving anything away, Lucifer is eventually going to lead to the most throwaway piece of really important continuity in all of comics history. Well, okay. So do with that as you will. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, we're going to meet Lucifer soon. Xavier's looking for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Hank goes wrestling. Yeah. Marvel loves the wrestling, don't they? Peter Parker and Henry McCoy, both big science brains. They both tried to wrestle with their superpowers. Yeah. And then the thing will be a wrestler. And yeah, it's always a thing in Marvel wrestling. I don't know. A lot of times when Eunice's symbol is drawn, it just looks like a spider. But like on that first panel where it's drawn clearly, I think I kind of like it because it kind of resembles force fields, which is sort of his power. Mm-hmm. So. You mean on his shorts or in his super yeah. hero outfit? Uh, I guess it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be the same thing, but yeah, on his short, you can see it clearly on his shorts in his first panel on page eight. Yeah, right. It's but a cool power. Yes. I mean, you just can't be stopped, but yeah, there are limits to that ability because you also can't do a whole lot, I guess. I don't know if he's super strong also or what. Well, when he can control it, it's it's great. When he can't control it, it's bad. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he's stronger than just, you know, a workout guy. Right. He's stronger than your average person, but not like superhumanly strong. Yeah, he's just mostly invulnerable, I guess. Yeah, you can't, can't get to them. Um, okay, so the evil mutants are not a big part of the plot, but they are lurking in the background of the story. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, Mastermind is anyway. I like that he's like, oh, you have to prove yourselves. Like, so how many evil mutants do you come across and how often do you do this? Because like, I feel like you should just let this guy join. Seems pretty right. like a no-brainer. But it's like maybe they do this every day. Maybe there's, Maybe they've interviewed tons of mutants and like they don't all make the cut. 
for some reason. Well, I read um, I read Avengers. No, I read the, uh, the third Spider-Man annual recently where he tries to join the Avengers or rather the Avengers try to recruit him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you had to pass the tests. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no one else has ever passed a test. So what are yeah. the tests for joining the Evil Mutants? Yeah, Mutants? and just, just look at his resume. I mean, he's freaking Spider-Man. You right. Already, you already know what he can do. Same with Eunice. You can see his power. Yeah. Bring him in and find ways to use it. That's what Xavier would do. Mm-hmm. He would bring you in and find ways to exploit you. But they try to do that with Blob, so this just seems like a, a one-off of, like, maybe Mastermind's just taking it upon himself to make him rob a bank or something. Because Mastermind is sort of a tricky cat anyway, so. Maybe Mastermind sees that Eunice is actually pretty handsome and does not want competition on his <laughs> Scar- Scarlet Witch designs. Yeah, yeah. Well, it says Matt, Magneto hasn't been disappointed before. Was he talking about Submariner? Because that was a very specific incident, so. I or I think the return of the Blob, maybe. Or the return of the blob. Yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe maybe all those disappointments have got them to like try harder to put them through the paces first. I don't know. So Cerebro first is just a phone, and then it's once again detecting a mutant that is important to the plot because that's its ability. Yes, and it did that Cerebro's last time weird. too. Cerebro is a little weird. They haven't worked it quite out yet. It can monitor mutants. It monitors like the blob and what he's doing and stuff. It's weird. Right. I also don't like that Hank can just create a thing that makes a thing happen. Like, let's be a little more careful with this awesome science stuff, guys. I don't know. Oh, uh, uh, amplifying his powers? Yeah, it's like, okay, you can just do that? That's cool, I guess. Right. That took you one panel? I guess he's really yeah, smart. Well, I guess he's been back at the uh, back of the office for a while. His head feels very large in all of those panels. Like, like early Flash. Really early Flash has always a really big head, bigger than it feels uh, like it should be. Uh-huh. And same with same with Hank here. So I like, okay, so he doesn't, I like that nobody thought that Hank would join an evil mutant group, which we all agree is probably true. Even mm-hmm. even Professor X wasn't worried about that. And I also like that his inspiration seems to be that he saw that they were going to recruit more. And so that brought him back. But I wish they had just talked a little bit about that whole raging mob thing that tried to kill him and stuff and whether he's okay with it now or if he learned anything from that or he doesn't really f- seem like he's back. I mean, he's in his X-Men suit. Mm-hmm. So maybe in actual, that might be a reaction to the whole evil mob thing. Like dressing up as an X-Man might, you know, give him some protection once he goes out. I don't even feel like he's back. I feel like he's just there trying to deal with, with Eunice and all this stuff that happens with him and Cyclops and like not explaining. There's no reason. There's no story logic for this whatsoever. Right. This is, this is just melodrama. Totally. Yeah. It's anytime Batman does not explain the answer to Robin because we have five more pages to go. Right. You know, it's the same thing. Like, all he had to do is say, I'm making this box thing that's going to increase his strength, but that's also going to create it so he can't touch anything and he's going to die of starvation. And they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. That's a great idea. Don't worry, Dick. I'm only pretending to marry Batwoman. I still love you. <laughs> I know who really did it, but let's hold off on that answer for a little bit. You go go in there and be a decoy for that shotgun. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, the whole King Midas thing is kind of cool. Yeah. Cool defeat. I think the ending is actually a little bit ingenious. It's just all that yeah. drama involved. It doesn't quite work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess he's back because I assume he's part of the team next issue. Even though He is part of the team next issue. We'll have to read and see if there's any ramifications. Probably not. Um, Deep down, I never really lost faith in you, Hank. And then Gene, who's in love with Cyclops, says... That's what makes you the leader you are. And I'm like, you had lost faith with him in seconds and spent the entire comic trying to defeat him. You're a horrible leader. 
Yeah. And she's only saying that because she wants to kissy you, which, by the way, is kind of a new development. She's... She doesn't specifically... Is it a new development? Has she specifically said, oh, Scott, if only you felt about me as I do about you, but you don't, you just don't? I don't know. I don't feel like she's done that yet. Okay, like, maybe. I guess maybe I'm just so caught up in like the, the overall like tone of the series I haven't really noticed. Feels like she was just dating whoever asked her to date first, and now she's okay. like in love with him because he never well, asked whenever, her. Yeah. She was kind of sad that he wouldn't go out with them last time. Oh, yeah. I forget how strongly she expressed that. Yeah. Um, and I'm just looking at Hank's lines here. Hank's lines at the end could be read as like resignation. I'm back where I belong with the X-Men. Thanks for not blasting me until I could do what had to be done, Scott. Yeah. I mean, he does. he is not happy at the end of this issue. No, there's no smiles going on. No. It'd be great if they bring it up again, but who knows if they will. Who knows? You probably do, but I'll find out in <laughs> in like 10 episodes, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, it takes us a while to get, because X-Men's bi-monthly, so it takes us a while to get to X-Men issues. Is it mm. 10? I don't know. I just made that I up. Think it's it's a lot, though. Seems like we don't read them that often. Well, that was our three episodes. That was How it. do do for time? That's not even the entirety of September 1, is it? I think that was the entirety of September 1. Oh, okay. So it's next usually episode three and six. will be September 8th. So what have we got over there? On well, what are we doing next time? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to tell you guys that, huh? Sergeant Fury, number 12. Let me see if I can tell you what it is. Which one of the Howlers deserts under fire and why? And they ain't talking about cake, fellas. And then Strange Tales, number 127, looks to have a mysterious villain, a who-what villain, and also some uh, Doctor Strange fighting Dormammu, part two. And then everyone's favorite, Amazing Spider-Man, number 19, Spidey strikes back after quitting for an issue. All right. And I want to do some uh, some welcomes and some thank yous for those of you on Twitter who have started following the show. I'm just trying to figure out um, who the last person I thanked was. Um, I'm throwing my notifications see who who who's followed us. Okay, then we've got some people. Um, all right. So go over here and go to the followers and look for the orange alligator. Orange alligator. Okay. Um, there's the orange alligator. All right. So some of these don't seem familiar. I don't want to leave anybody out. Okay. I know we did Let's Talk Defenders because I remember Let's Talk Defenders. So welcome, Let's Talk Defenders. Um, Daniel Martinez, a man with no boundaries at Electric Mastro 5. Welcome to the show. Saturday Comics at Comics Saturday. Glimpses into a fun pile of pulp curated in Winnipeg by Dr. Kev Orcazito, P-H-U-N. I will follow you. Will you follow me? All the Saturdays that we know will be. Aww. Jake Harper at M Bird X, veteran, comics enthusiast, horror geek, free speech absolutist. I contain multitudes. Hashtag Team Comics. Dang. The the orange alligator belongs to Mike Good at Alley Gooder. Um, James Gavzi at Comic Con at James Gavzi, host of Who Would Win podcast. I think we did talk about him. We talked about like like he does a show about like teaming up people against each other. Um, I don't know. It doesn't sound familiar to me. Ev, well, well, welcome to the show, James. And Evan, the great TVD. Check out the D&D podcast, The Last Tavern, on the left. Or a fan of comics, check out Crossover Collision. They can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. We have Joseph Bernal the, at Red Blue Super Dude. Blind guy by day, superhero by night, homegrown Texan. Woohoo, Texas! Um, I'm from Texas, just if, if anyone there doesn't know. 
Eric Keller at Eric0724, Muhammad Muhammad at Muhammad with a bunch of numbers, Trey Lawson at T underscore Lawson, educator, PhD student, writer, critic, cineast, plus actor, co-host at Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I know Trey. I was on the Tomb of Horrors podcast, Tomb of Ideas podcast. Awesome. Um, Me too. Jace, you were. That's right. We've both been on there. Yeah. Do you think he has a collection of podcasters that he like puts on his shelf? I think he does, yeah. Kind of like the Captain America villain from the Golden Age who had all the little statues on his chessboard? Yep. Yep. That's that's actually Trey. Trey was that guy in Captain America comics. Looks just like him. Sorry, Trey, your secret's out. J.C. Powell at J.C. Powell 68. Vovodya at Vovodya 1. Batter Bally at B Bally 81. I'm a UK born Egyptian, Muslim with centrist views. I'm an enormous geek about almost every aspect of media and geekdom. Welcome to the show, Botter. And Vladi is my daddy. <laughs> at Tweetwood Mac underscore, single father of three. That's it. You think you got time for anything else? If you still got time for the GOP, then I don't have time for you. And I think we'll leave it at that until uh, until next time, because that's quite a few of them. We still got quite a few left. Okay. Um, where can they reach us? MakeOursMarvel.com has all the links you need to the RSS feed, to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. Um, or you could just type Make Ours Marvel in your favorite app. That should hopefully work. And if not, please write us at podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com or use the handy form on the website if you don't want to remember that address. Well, we've had two follows or likes rather over on Facebook and one of them, Paul Spataro from Back to the Bins, a man whom I've known online and passing for a really long time. I've been on his Is It Jaws podcast. He's got Back to the Bins on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, he's part of the um, Listen to the Prophets Deep Space Nine podcast. And I totally missed the chance to meet him in Florida. He was in Florida. There were a bunch of uh, geek friends who were going to get together. And at the very last minute, I had something come up that I couldn't get out of that was family related and I could not go down and meet. So, Paul, I really did mean to get down there. I'm really sorry I missed you. I hope you are still listening to and enjoying the show. Um, And also, Bert Rigo Carter has uh, liked us over on Facebook. Welcome to the show, Mr. Carter. And uh, yeah, I guess that wraps us up. All right. Okay. Well, we'll be back next time, next week, with more Silver Age Marvel goodness. So until then, or until Hank McCoy quits the X-Men again and becomes an Avenger, make ours Marvel. Marvel.